Welcome to League of Lit, where we discuss books, adaptations, and anything else we wish to talk about and tie it to lit, because we can. Today's episode, we are diving into the Grishaverse. But before I tell you anything more, because that alone gives you an idea as to what we're talking about, uh, let me remind you that it is a truth universally acknowledged that we are not a spoiler-free podcast. So this episode actually might potentially spoil two novels, but we're really only focusing on one. Yeah. And so, and that novel is Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo, which was published June 5th of 2012. And it follows a story of Alina Starkov, who is an orphaned girl who learns that she actually has powers. And the way things went, I mean, like, things are similar but between the book and the movie, or not movie, the show. But I don't know. I still There's still aspects of it that it feels different at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you got your basic orphan story. I feel like that's always how they start. I am nervous. Because it's easier to be like, oh, yeah, I can move on from things because I have no family that's yeah. relying on me or that's expecting things of me. I can just leave this life I have led because there's nothing here for me anyway. That type of thing. I mean, that's literally how, like, Luke Skywalker's decision to leave reads. Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing exactly. here for me now. I gotta go. I am a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the go off. Not quite, my dude. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be um, lightly discussing the book, really more so probably comparing and contrasting book to show. So the show came out uh, in April of 2021. And the first season was eight episodes. They are at, um, at the time of this episode being released, they are in the process of preparing um, season two, which they haven't, they've just said it's going to come out in 2022. They haven't established, I guess, specific date for it to be released yet. But, um, but they released all eight episodes at once. And so that, um, you know, made it for easy binge watching. And, And the thing is like the show blends really two novels together but not really Shadow and Bone season one blends Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows. But at the same time, not really, because the way that I remember Six of Crows is like there are certain aspects that are similar, but there's a lot more of like what happens in the show that feels more like a setup for when we actually get to where we meet the Six of Crows characters in the book. Mm-hmm. But that is my own personal thing. Everything that you see on the internet says, no, 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 it's the same. I don't think so. But personal opinion. That's true. That's why we have them. Exactly. But your main characters for Shadow and Bone are Alina Starkov, who is our leading lady and who this story surrounds. And the novel is told from her perspective. And then you have her best friend, Mal who's also kind of her love interest, which has its own problems, and we'll talk about it (laughs) because 
Oh my gosh. I full disclosure, I do not like Alina Starkov. She is not the best character in the world. I and can her agree little with you on that. Love experience in this novel does nothing. It's about as annoying as Team Jacob and Team Edward. Because <laughs> she about as flat. I can agree with that. She's definitely a, a, a two-dimensional character, if you will. Yeah. And then our kind of antagonist, and this is probably going to be the more interesting aspect of, of this episode, Um the Darkling, because that is how he is referred to in the novel, in the show, they actually gave him a name, which is um, Alexander Kurigan, and he is the general of the Second Army, which is all Grisha. And to, I don't know that we've actually explained what Grisha are yet, so apologies, audience. Um, essentially, Grisha are like magic people, but they specialize in one specific thing for the most part you have your like broad groups of like summoners and fabricators and um and i think actually that, that may just be the only two um i want to say that there's a third one but my my brain is not pulling that out and i didn't write it down from those like groups you get even more focused with um with like for summoners, they can summon fire. They can summon wind. Um, in Alina's case, she can summon light. Um, and in the Darkling's case, he can summon darkness. That's a shock. <laughs> I would never have guessed. <laughs> and then, like, you know, fabricators have their own things as well. Some people can uh, fabricate things with actual, like, fabric. And then other people can, like, fabricate things from a sense of, like, altering your physical appearance yeah um and so like that's that's like the group of people that uh that we're entering into and i feel like in the novel it's intended it's like it's very obvious because they call him the darkling the entire time that he is supposed to be the villain of the story yes i would agree with that but he is way more likable than our heroes. Again, a personal opinion. <laughs> and and it's just more of it. And it, there's, I think there's a level of the fact that he um, he is essentially kind of immortal. Because yeah. the big twist, if you will, is the fact that he is the one that created the fold, which is this big bad shadowy area that separates like parts of their world and if you have and tr when you travel through the fold there are these creatures called the volcra that will in fact murder you so it's essentially like that time period in the princess bride where they have to fight the rous <laughs> <laughs> yes it's Same going, vibes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Rodents of unusual size. <laughs> Just a little Honestly, scarier. now I have a different vision in my head. 
than what they actually show in the show for Volcra, and it makes it way better. Right. And that also is transitioning the Darkling into being Wesley. (laughs) Hey, you know what? 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Listen, they made a, a beautiful life choice, but a terrible life choice in casting Ben Barnes as the dark thing. Obviously, he's got a name in the show, but mm-hmm. because I'm, you're supposed to be the villain. But are you, though? Look at that face. I, I just think it's harder because like, even when I read the book, because I read the book before seeing the show. I don't know which order you chose to do it in. Um, but I liked the Darkling way more than I liked any of the characters who are supposed to be our quote heroes that we're supposed to like. And I don't know how much of this is, this is a YA novel, but that doesn't mean it's designed for young audiences. It's literally because of the age of our main characters. They're between the ages of 12 and 18. Um, And I will probably beat that horse multiple times on this podcast because I feel like I already have. Um, And I want to say Alina's between the ages of like 16 and 18. I'm not like fully sure. I don't know that it's ever been fully established. But I I feel like that's the age range that she's in. And obviously there's a level of things that's like, oh, you think you can make adult decisions because of – some of the adult situations you've been put in, for example, the fact that she is a cartographer in the army, which, you know, could potentially lead me to believe that she's more like 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, But there's still so much of the world that she hasn't experienced. And there's so much she doesn't even know about Grisha alone. And this is like this entire novel is her kind of discovering a little bit of herself as well as a little bit about this group of people that she's always perceived as quote wrong. Yeah. Because that's how a lot of other people view them. It's easier to like the villain and he has a whole line and it's from the book and they say it in the show of fine, make me your villain And I think that's one of the cool aspects of this story is that perception is everything. Like, are there things that, like, the Darkling did because of how it's revealed in the novel? And, you know, they they tweak it a little, um, I think, to humanize them a little bit more. Um, And I think when we go through episode by episode, we'll dive into it a little bit more then. But, like, the motivation behind a lot of the choices. And I think that's... That's more of what draws me to the Darkling is that we get more look. We get a, like more of a, a look at his motivations for the choices he made. And even though like we're being told this story, this entire story from Alina's perspective, her motivations make no sense to me. They're very just like trivial. They're kind of, but they are, you, and again, you said it, we beat this horse, this horse is dead, leave it at the ground, but it is a YA novel, and 
So her choices are going to look, as two women who are almost 30, her choices are going to look, it's just facts. Oh, no, you're not wrong. It's facts. But like, as two women who are almost 30, the choices of an 18-year-old girl, I mean, I look back at 18, that, that was all trivial. I had no real motivation because what I thought I was doing being part of the real world was not really how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of her thought pro I mean, and you said it earlier, like with her romance and like, that's not, you're not experiencing anything that's genuine yet because you're, and not that people can't experience love at 18, whatever, you know, I know that people do find love that young and do, you know, live their whole lives with those people, but it's less likely to happen now. And so as somebody who didn't experience love at 18 and who sort of had to go into the real world and find a a true path of some sorts, her motivations are just, it's, I mean, it's, you're boring. (laughs) Because there's nothing real happening for you. I just don't feel like Elena's all that complex of a character. And I agree with that. And and I try to think of some of the books that I read when I was around the age that most, like the general audience of this novel mm-hmm. would. Um, and like, as, as you heard me earlier, compare things a little bit to um, to Twilight. I read Twilight in high school. And I didn't like El- I didn't like Bella. She was flat to me. She made no actual choices. And so I don't think I think I would have had a similar opinion of Alina. And in all honesty, my opinion of Alina does not take away from the fact that I did enjoy reading the novel. The story itself, the universe itself, is interesting. And it's because of that, that's the whole reason why I finished it and I read the entire trilogy and I've read other books that are within that universe. But I can totally go for not having any more Alina Starkov in the Grishaverse. I agree, though. She's, she just doesn't bring anything to the table, in my opinion. The table that is this book. <laughs> table made well, entirely the book. And it's like, and more than likely because because of this, we may not talk about any other any other books in Alina's story. We may we may bring on other um other Grishaverse books. Who knows? We don't yet. Cause we only we only project so far. <laughs> yeah. Um but more than likely, we will not talk about Alina Starkov ever again after this episode on the podcast. So um, her, like, the thing that really, like, annoyed me when I read the, like, the Shadow and Bone trilogy is the specific characters that are honest, like, even the specific, like, love interest that actually forced her to grow and helped her grow. Like for whatever reason they couldn't stick and I don't understand why. 
I don't understand why it seemed like Bardugo was stuck on having Alina and Mal be endgame because they are the worst endgame ever. There is no growth. There is no pushing each other to be better versions of themselves. Any growth that had happened when Alina was around the Darkling or the other love interest, which I, I will be nice. I won't ruin that one. If for those people who may want to actually dive into this, um, they don't stick with her. The moment she's back with Mal, all of that growth is out the door. He's like her childhood crush. And every time she comes back home, she just is stuck on that. And it means that then she would technically in, you know, in reality, you know, thinking of if you'd had somebody that you liked you know, from when you were little or whatever. Every time you come home, you revert to being a 15-year-old girl. It's boring. And when there's really no... There's no chemistry between the two of them. Nope. None. At all. I, I, I was sitting there, I was like, I'm ready for it. I have read so many books. I have read... I have read dime store romance novels that had more <laughs> chemistry than the two of them, Okay. <laughs> I said it. I said it. I meant it. Because they were just, it's flat. And I'm like, there's so much out there in the world. And yet you are obsessed with this boring boy. No offense. Boring boy. Like, I loved the aspect of the novel and the show when Alina makes the choice to get rid of of the scar that she specifically associates with him and with that aspect of her life. And she chooses to move on and she sees and experiences what moving on and letting go of the past can do for her. Because the moment she does that, that's when she has better control and can actually summon her power so much easier. It takes no effort And she becomes healthier. Like you see it, like it's described her appearance, like just how she feels in general, like everything becomes better and she is healthier because of it. So why are we going back just because the boys showed up at the little palace? And like, it's just, it makes no sense. Why revert to old ways? When new ways have made you feel ten times better. I agree. You're in a whole new situation. A whole new place. You've learned all of these new things. And these... This boy... Changes all that. It's just... It's boring and it really pushes... Like that trope of like... What are women without men? Type of thing. Like what, what are you without this one... Man in your life. I'm better. I was better. He could have stayed where he was. Because I was better. And and I'm not saying that they couldn't still be friends. It's yeah. just it's the aspect of holding on to things that are not healthy for you. Because she starts to struggle again when she is essentially running away with Mal Mm -hmm. and it starts to show 
when the Darkling does find them, because <laughs> it happens, it's one of the ways, you know, the plot continues to move, um, and brings her back to the little palace, everyone, like, remarks on how unwell she looks. And so it's like, we're getting a physical appearance, a physical description of what an unhealthy relationship does to a person. Yeah. And most of the time, an unhealthy relationship really just affects somebody emotionally. It doesn't always affect what they look like physically, but because of the way that the Grisha power works, it's affecting Alina physically on top of the emotional. And it just, it hurts that she is not growing. Yeah. It, what, I think what hurts is that we start to see her grow. And then she almost like, no, nah, what? She like bats it away in yeah, favor like of this boy. She has done so much growth to pretty much do a 180 from where we, she started. Mm-hmm. And then the moment Mal steps back, she goes back. The same it's sad, 180. It's sad to see the growth stunted that way. Every time it happens, you're just like, growth. Never mind. Growth. Never mind. Yeah. That's, I think, what hurts the most is that, like, she tried to grow. She really genuinely did. That she was a little bit more interesting. Not a lot. But, like, she was a little bit more interesting. Right. And I feel like there should there could have been so much more had the growth stuck. Yeah. But it didn't, and it wasn't going to. And I just resigned myself to that. <laughs> she will never be exciting. We'll mention, we've already like briefly mentioned about Ben Barnes because he was casted as the Darkling, a.k.a. General Kurrigan in the, in the series adaptation that was created by Eric Heisserer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm guessing that. on that one. <laughs> uh, Alina is played by Jesse May Lee. Mal is played by Archie Renault. And then... And those are like our our three main characters, really from uh, from the Shadow and Bone series, like from the Shadow and Bone, yeah, trilogy. Um, the other book that it blends in is Six of Crows, which is also by Lee Bardugo. Um, I I actually read Six of Crows before I read Shadow and Bone, and I liked Six of Crows way better. <laughs> it's it's a heist book. And heist books are kind of fun. Yeah. So our characters from the Six of Crows uh, series, which it's it's just a duology, uh, is we have Kaz Brecker, who is played by Freddie Carter. We have Jesper, who is played by Kit Young. We have Inej, who is played by Amita Suman. And we have Nina, played by Danielle uh, Galligan. And we have Matthias, who is... Played by Callahan Scogman. I did appreciate that they were blending those two together. They do say that, like, oh, well, the the heist that they that the crows do because you have the crow club, um, and Kaz Brecker is kind of like running the the crow club in a way. Um, in the novel, there's somebody else who's actually running the the crow club, and Kaz just like works for him but he's like 
an older gentleman who can't do as much. So Kaz is like the, the feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, and, and so like the heist that is essentially done in, in the first book, they, they claim is what they've blended where they have it in the series that, um, that they're trying to capture the sun summoner, AKA Alina Starkov. Um, and, trying to bring her and like to whoever is actually like wanting to quote have control of her yeah episode one is titled a searing burst of light and it opens up with a voiceover that does all of the setup that helps us establish where we're actually like meeting like where we're meeting everybody I mean, episode one is just it, it. It's a bunch of setup for what it is, and it's it's interesting seeing how they are trying with so many to establish so many different storylines, but we just get to be introduced to those six ish main characters um, yeah. because we do get introduced uh, not long after. We see the crows finding their passage across the fold. Um, we do actually get to be introduced to General Kerrigan, a.k.a. the Darkling. It kind of shows a little bit how, I think, childish the connection is between Alina and Mal in the way that Alina makes her own way to be with Mal because Mal gets chosen to go across the fold. Yeah. With the group that is being that has to go across. And she does that by burning a map of the area that they're going to. So because she is a cartographer, she has to go. She has to yeah, go and redo it. And it's just really stupid because you can just let this boy go. You can just let this boring boy go. You had to be able to go with him. You need me. He needs me. He doesn't. And you don't need him. Move on. And that's that's what's so annoying is that neither one of them need each other. And, you know, some people think that's great. Oh, they don't need each other, but they want each other. It's like, but their wanting each other hurts each other. Right? So, episode two, we're all someone's monster. Mm-hmm. Some of these titles make me laugh um it starts with a flashback of the grisha test and how mal and lena try to skip it um simply because they don't want to be separated they don't want the possibility of them being separated even though there could have been a possibility that they could have been able to go together they could have both been grisha but no, they didn't want to risk the possibility that only one of them was Grisha. Blah, 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 blah. Because of the whole like test that the Darkling does on Alina, she gets to go to the Little Palace. We get to kind of see her experience um, a little bit of and in, in being introduced to the Little Palace and kind of what that will look like. Yeah. Um, the other part of episode two is is really more about Inej. Um, yeah. And 
Inej is a really awesome character. Like, I love the complexity that exists with Inej. And it's interesting, like, how... Because she has a whole role of, like, she doesn't... She won't kill anybody. Like, she'll... Because she's a very, like, stealthy person. And so, like, she can, like, find out any information pretty much that you want to know. Yeah. Because she can be there and no one would know that she's there. Um, But she doesn't like to kill anybody. And that's one of the things she is asked to do in order to wipe away the debt, if you will. Because she was essentially sold into a version of slavery um, at, at a young age. And then um, Kaz is a little bit of a hero in a way in trying to help her leave that life. Because, you know, there are motivations that are unknown at this time, but it's subtly there. Yeah. And so we get to see, we get a little bit more of an introduction to Inej, and I really appreciate kind of how they dive into her character in that episode. Inej's story is much more interesting than Alina's at this point, so. Mm-hmm. All right, episode three, The Making at the Heart of the World. Makes sense. It opens with Alina writing Mal. And I even wrote it in my notes, big eye roll. <laughs> because it's like, girl, I get it. He has been your friend for years and you want to share it with him. But you It's boring. Stop. It's boring. You got to step. You gotta stop. Just um, and this is where we get to meet Jenya, who is played by Daisy Head. And Jenya, we don't really get a a clear image of Jenya until later in the story. Um, but essentially, she is a spy for the Darkling. But we don't know that when we first meet her. It's actually Jenya who intercepts any and all. Um, communication between Alina and Mal because it's known that in order for her to act in order for Alina to actually like grow and be able to do what she needs to do she has to leave the past behind yeah which is part of the reason why um they test children they don't test teenagers or adults for the Grisha power because it's easier to let go of things when you're a child those are facts. We also get to meet, in this episode, we get to meet Nina. And therefore, we also get to meet Matthias because they their story goes together. Yes. And, and I think one of the reasons why I really liked Nina and Matthias' storyline is while we're told bits and pieces in the books, we're actually like getting to see things unfold that we may not have been told in the books. Yeah. We also, in this episode, get to meet Bagra, or Bagra, however you want to say her name, um, who is played by Zoe Wanamaker, who is Madame Hooch in the Harry Potter series. She's fun. When she first appeared on screen, because I didn't have, like, a cast list in front of me, at first glance, because of the way, like, her hair and everything was... I thought they got Megan Follows. And I was like, what? She does look a lot like Megan Follows, though. It Yes. So episode four opens with 
uh, Mal writing Alina. I want to vomit. <laughs> In episode four, we get to see a little bit more of Alina and the Darklings relationship kind of start to connect a little more. Yeah. I don't remember where it is because I didn't make a note of it. Because it's not like a huge thing, but at one point, Jinya does advise Alina to beware of powerful men. She she is kind of, you know, directly referring to the Darkling. The Darkling, yeah. Because Jinya knows things that Alina mm-hmm. doesn't. And I, I think because of that warning, it does show that Jinya really does care about Alina and is trying to help her. Yeah. But at the same time, she still has to do what she's been asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the backstory of the black heretic, who is the one behind the fold. <clears throat> Darkling is black heretic, but you know, we don't, we don't officially know that till later. Yeah. Um, you do get like different parts of like Mal's letter to Alina throughout the episode. Um, and you get to see really kind of how both of them are struggling because episode three, you got more of Alina struggling and then we're getting Mal's perspective because, you know, we, that's the beauty of a show. You can actually get more than one perspective. Yeah. And, um, by the end of episode four, Alina chooses to move on and to let go of anything that is, keeping her like holding on to Mal. Yeah. And Alina kind of realize has that realization during one of the Bagra training sessions, which we get a couple that she has always denied herself for Mal. And while yes, there is a level of self denying that exists in relationships. It's not to your detriment. Yeah. That's when a relationship is toxic we get a little bit of the crow crew not a lot trying to to get things in and we have like a brief check-in on nina in this episode but like the bulk of this episode is focusing on the fact that like oh alina is coming to the conclusion i need to move on with my life yeah episode five mal arrives at the little palace oh lord which in the novel, it's a little different when Mal arrives at Little Palace. Because the whole reason why he's at the Little Palace is because he has found the stag, which mm-hmm. is the thing that um, the Darkling is has been searching for forever. And um, I don't think I've I don't think we've mentioned it yet that Mal is this like really talented and gifted tracker. That's his like superpower, but it's not a Grisha power, so he can't <laughs> he can't go to Little Palace. Um, but he he's found this stag that they've been looking for for forever. And so he was there to share that information. But the first thing that he wants to do when he gets there is to see Alina. And they just won't let him. Which, you know, is best for everybody. Agreed. But it doesn't matter because they find each other anyways. <laughs> yeah, and when they do, they have a, a nice, large um, argument. Love that for them. Because, you know, they've been writing to each other all the time, but no one has gotten either letters. Because Alina's letters were never sent, and Mal's letters 
were never given. Hey, some dirty things going on. But I'm. But at the same time, like because of how much like Mal had been moving around, it would also make sense because that's how it's played off in the book. Yeah. Of um, is that because of Mal's regiment constantly on the move, looking for different things? It's hard to keep up with where they are yeah, to be able to actually like get the letter. Yeah. We do. This is the episode where um, Alina has her like big demonstration because it's the big like event of the season where all the Grisha are doing different demonstrations for the king and his court. And so there's a bunch of people that are present. This is the episode that the where Alina and the Darkling have their first kiss. And it's really hard to have like really any kind of feelings about it. Yeah. It just kind of happens. Yeah. You're like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and, you know, for Alina, it's a bigger deal. Not because well, it's, yeah. like her fir- it's not like her first kiss like ever. But it messes with her emotions. Mm-hmm. There's like a whole thing between Mal and the Darkling. Because the Darkling's not stupid. I'm just- it's in Barnes. <laughs> of course he's not stupid. Really uh, the Darkling knows that there is a connection between yeah. Alina and Mal. And he uses some of the information. Like, he asks. It's it's not something that happens in the book. But it, it happens in the show. And it, it shows how manipulative, in a way... The Darkling can be because he literally asks Mal what Alina's favorite flower is. And then he, when he goes to, when the Darkling goes back to join Alina at the whole little like party thing, he provides her a little bouquet of her favorite flower. He's just using his resources. He is. He's he's a very resourceful man. He's a very resourceful man. <laughs> he has had decades of decades experience. Of experience, <laughs> yes. Um, and at the end of episode five is when, um, Bagra, like, warns Alina that, no, 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 Darkling is the black heretic. He is responsible for all of this. And because of it, so, you know, Alina runs at the uh, advice of Bagra, and because of that, Bagra and the Darkling have their own moment because Bagra is the Darkling's mom. Ooh, a plot twist. Because the entire, like, when you go through the series and you go through the book, Bagra just seems like this old, bitter woman. Yeah. She's bitter because her son has created massive chaos. You know, as one would be. Yeah. And so, moving on to episode six... The heart is an arrow. We have this character who's known as the conductor, and the conductor is who helped um, the crow crew get across the fold. Um, Apparently, Nina was supposed to have crossed the fold with him, but there is has been no word, and there has been no like no sign of Nina because Nina was sent 
to be a spy of sorts for the Darkling somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And and so they're like episode six opens up with the interrogation of the conductor to try and figure out, hey, where is this person who is supposed to be providing me information about something specific? And so we do get to see a little bit more of Nina and Matthias. We also get to see the Crow crew and Alina cross paths. And in a way they try and help her. Yeah. They're still uh, struggling with the whole, well, do we still do the job that we've been sent out here for? Yeah. Or do we just help her? They definitely have that moment of like, oh, she's actually, it's like, I thought she was going to be bad. That's why Mm -hmm. I was here to do this, but she's not bad. What do I do now? And I mean, there's like a lot of other things that happen like in the episode, but like by the end of it, it's where um, Alina decides that she wants to go after the stag to prevent the darkling from being able to harness the power. Because whoever kills the stag gets the power. I have the power. Sorry. Episode seven. This episode is probably more interesting from the Darkling storyline perspective. Mm -hmm. Because it humanizes him way more than any, uh, like any of the other episodes in the series, as well as the novel. Because we're getting more of his backstory. Part of the motivation was he lost the woman that he loved, mm-hmm. which is kind of an age-old, very worn-out yeah. motivation. But what can you do? It worked. Yeah, because of the fact that like he could summon darkness, there was already concern, and because this is all pre the fold. Yeah. So you have that, and then the fact that like. There, the other motivation, like between like between losing the woman that he loved, but then the other motivation is like the danger that the Grisha were in. Like his entire motivation, at least in the show, is for the protection of his people because of how everyone views their people and what they want to do. And like how they are naturally made. Because they're born with these powers. Relatively speaking, despite the fact that he is, quote unquote, the villain, he has the most, I don't want to say that they're noble, but he has the most just cause. Specifically, obviously not with the woman, because like, of course, age old trope. I lost my woman. I must do all the things. But literally, he's just trying to protect his people. And you're like, wow, maybe you're not as bad as we thought you were. Like you said, it humanizes him in a lot of ways. You're suddenly like, wow. Okay, I see why they gave you a name in the show. They'll just keep referring to you as the Darkling. Well, I mean, I think in the book, by only ever referring to Matt as the Darkling, that's establishing. And it... And in all honesty, it felt a little too obvious to me. And so, like, I, I tried to reserve, even though it's like, no, th- this is just, like, they're setting this up a little too hard. What? You, that the, the Darkling is the villain? I mean, yes, it makes the most sense. He's called the Darkling. Exactly. The Dark Lord. Like, <laughs> there are very specific names that you use for people that you're just like, wow. If you're not the villain, 
what's the villain going to be called? Right. And so, you know, it, it plays a little bit on the uh, perception of the villain. Also in episode seven, Alina and Mal find the stag. And so does the Darkling. Hmm. Because the Darkling just said, oh, I'll just track them. That's smarter. <laughs> right? He's They'll got do brains. the work for me. Yeah. And um, so the Darkling kills Stag. Mm. And it and it turns into Alina's amplifier. But a, a piece of it is also in his hand. So he can summon Alina's power as well. All of this could have been avoided. If she would have just left it alone. Right. So in a way, this is where we can argue for a second. Uh, Alina is the villain. I like this. Because if she would have just left it alone, just tried to live her life, did not go after the stag. Because the only reason why she goes after the stag is because she is a little power hungry herself. Ooh. Ooh, isn't it shocking when your hero, quotes, is power hungry? And, you know, you could you can make the argument that, no, 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 her power hunger is noble and just because she wants to get rid of the fold, and the fold is the problem. Okay. She doesn't know anything about it. Okay. She doesn't know enough to be able to actually be like, yeah, I can just do a burst of light and poof, the fold is gone. It's okay. She can be power hungry. Don't but be like, mad it, at it. It's something that's, like, even admitted in the novel where, like, a – there's a part of it where Alina wants it because she wants an amplifier for herself. That's okay to want to be better. It's how you go about trying exactly. to be better. Exactly. And she went about it the wrong way. And that's why the Darkling won. Episode 7 is really where it's like truly revealed that Alina's letters were never uh, sent, sent and yeah. his were never received because the Darkling starts reading them to Mal as a form of torture. The audacity. It's funny, though. Which is such a great form of torture. It really is. I'm going to read you your cringy letters. Prepare. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Oh, and this is the episode where the line, make me your villain, uh, exists. I think that is honestly such a powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Because it literally depends on your perspective. It does. I agree. And it's pointing that out. That, like, no, 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 fine. You can make me your villain. Like, you're not seeing this the way that I'm seeing this. So from your perspective, I am your villain. You, and that's You're fine. more than welcome to that. He is accepting that fact of, like, okay, you no longer trust me. You no longer are seeing things the way or listening to the, how I'm trying to explain the way that I'm seeing this. Yeah. So that's putting me as the villain to you. In a way establishing how the Darkling has come to terms with the way that probably the last several decades have gone for him. He's like, okay. And so, and then the episode ends when they are starting to journey across the fold for the new and improved Alina because she now has a stag necklace. Yeah. And then the last episode of season one, episode eight, No Mourners, which that title is a reference to the Six of Crows because their whole like little thing is um, no funerals, no mourners. If you die, you die. We move on. Uh, yeah. But like that's the, that's like how they operate in life. Yeah. And, and so like that's that's where that is. We get like... 
we kind of go in and out of the whole like journey across the fold for this like new and improved demonstration. Um, and you have the crow crew and Mal below deck. Um, but then we also get to see more of Nina and Matthias. And I really don't understand what the obsession with waffles is. And it is an obsession. It may not look like it very much in this episode, but like in the books, the way that it's like, oh, like part of enticing people is, oh, I'll, I'll get you waffles. I don't Which understand. All, I love waffles. They have little I pockets mean, for syrup. But like, I, it's definitely odd to see in like this whole other world, waffles. Waffles are the incentive. Because, I mean, this is rooted in um, in Russian folklore. Yeah. Do they like waffles a lot in Russia? I don't know. Find a Russian. <laughs> Excuse me. If anybody uh, from Russia listens to the podcast, do you guys have, like, a, a thing with waffles? I need it explained. It's never been explained to me in any um, sort of Russian historical thing that I've ever watched. So, um, <laughs> did you guys invent waffles? No. Where were waffles in Russia? I don't have time for this, but just somebody, somebody, you know, point us in the direction on that. The thing with, with Nina and Matthias is um, Matthias is a Druskella. And what essentially what that is, is a Grisha hunter. So like Nina challenges a lot of the things that Matthias was taught because uh, Nina's power, she's a heart render. So she can control kind of in a way how you feel and um like throughout the entirety of the nina and matthias storyline nina uses her power to help keep them warm but there's a lot of things that like as you watch their storyline bloom nina like jokes around with the fact just like oh i'm using my grisha wiles it's that whole like oh i'm using my feminine wiles to to distract you, to get you to do what I want you to do. And I mean, Nina is really just using her feminine wiles, like being herself. Yeah. But it's not like, she's not intentionally trying to be malicious with it. She is making a joke out of it. Yeah. Um, And so there's all of that. Um, But in episode eight, Matthias gets arrested because Nina is quote caught with Matthias and Grisha and Druskella cannot cannot be friends because they are mortal enemies. Uh. And a Grisha sees Nina and in order to this is like Nina's attempt, but it's not necessarily like the best attempt because it it really injures her relationship with Matthias. She has him arrested for um for slave trade yeah which in nina's in nina's brain she was thinking oh she was going to be able to like get the charges dropped and he would be free but like nina panicked because people who knew who she was had an idea as to who matthias was they they could not do it and so she panicked and in that, in turn, kind of messed with that relationship, which is so She's sad. A, I don't know how... This is actually the first episode where they use the Darkling as, like, as a moniker for him. Mm-hmm. And so 
I guess they're trying to create the villain instead of what they did in the novel, which is have him labeled as the Darkling the entire time. Yeah. But the Crow crew and Alina and Mal, they they have like one final moment together and then they all go their separate ways. And then the Crow crew crosses paths with, with Nina. And that's how Nina gets to be involved with the Crow crew. And this series, like the episode and the series or the season ends with the Darkling coming out of the fold, which shows we're not done yet. So like, while there are a little bit of a few aspects of Six of Crows and Shadow and Bone, it's definitely more heavily rooted in Shadow and Bone. Which makes sense because the series is called Shadow and Bone. Any other thoughts? Um, I would like more Ben Barnes, please. And less Alina. Thank you so much. I mean, I would totally be down for digging more into the Darkling's character and understanding the Darkling more. But I would also like to see, um, because this is where sometimes... Certain things don't translate very well on paper, but you have the capabilities to expand it more because you have more perspectives when you are doing adaptations. Um, I think we do have the possibility of them making Alina a better character in in the show. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see where they take her. And I'm hoping, because they um, they have released... Who is like who are the newcomers to the show? And it's a mix of um it's one character that was in the Six of Crows duology and then three characters that are in um the Shadow and Bone trilogy. And one of them is Nikolai Lansov, which I think he's probably one of my favorite characters. He is the other he's the other love interest. I know I said I wasn't going to, but I did it anyways. She spoiled it. Oh my god, but we warned you at the beginning, so um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what the introduction of Nikolai Lansov does. Yeah. For the story. Because he really does push Alina. Thank God. Somebody needs to off a cliff. Sorry. <laughs> that was a fit Um, I mean, like, and he pushes her in a similar way to the Darkling, but he is not evil, question mark. Yeah. Um, because when, when we meet Nikolai, he is a questionable human being, but he's been having to figure out his life because it's supposed that he is, a uh, not actually royal blood because Nikolai Lansov is, is a prince, but it's rumored that he actually just may be a bastard. <gasps> so... I still want him to Fun push her things off the to cliff. look forward to that we may never actually discuss on this podcast. <laughs> Metaphorical cliff. So, um, thank you, Lee Bardugo, for writing this because you know without it, then we wouldn't have the show, and we wouldn't have had the opportunity to see Ben Barnes be a lovable villain. More of that, please. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you to everyone who was involved with the production of the shadow and bone series which is on netflix 
so you can check it out if you haven't already. Thank you very specifically to Ben Barnes for being Ben Barnes. <laughs> Listen, I love him so much. He's just so good, as always. Thank you to Zachica for our beautiful, beautiful artwork. The cubes is very pretty. Yes, and thank you to all of you for tuning in to League of Lit. Make sure you follow us at League of Lit Podcast on Instagram. If you have any suggestions for an episode, feel free to leave a comment on leagueoflit.tumblr.com.